the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by the Federation for American Immigration Reform and George Rodriguez on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. Once again, George Rodriguez on this October the 7th, 2023. Welcome to the show, my friends. We've got a packed show. Let me tell you real quick who our guests are, and uh, we'll jump right into the show. Our first guest is my good friend Dinesh D'Souza, who's going to be talking to you about uh, another movie that he's got coming out, my friends. You're going to like it. You're going to really like it. It's called The Police State. Uh, After him, we've got Texas State Representative uh, Stan Kitzman, who is going to talk about uh, the uh, legislation uh, in this next session, hopefully to address the border crisis. Then we've got Mr. Randy Clark, our good friend from Breitbart, reporter from Breitbart, giving us an update of what is happening in Eagle Pass. And our final guest is Mr. Mark Garcia, former um, or retired, should I say, uh, Border Patrol agent. He's going to be chatting with us about what is going on in his backyard right there in Eagle Pass as well. My friends, Welcome to the show. Let's go to our first guest. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got uh, Mr. Dinesh D'Souza, a good friend from the Reagan days and from uh, the old uh, Heritage Foundation. Um, I wanted to get him on because he's got uh, a new movie that's coming out, folks, in October. Dinesh, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Hey, it's my pleasure. Tell us about this uh, movie you've got, The Police State. Sounds ominous. Yeah, it's um, Police State is the title, uh, and it's uh, it's out October 23rd and 25th in theaters. It'll be available for streaming after that, but it's really fun to see these movies in the theater because I make them that way. It examines a startling question, is America becoming a police state? Now, 10 years ago, if you had said, that to me I would have almost chuckled at the absurdity of it because we've lived in a country in which we take basic liberties for granted yes there's a political debate and uh, political infighting and all that but you know we have free speech and we have uh, freedom of conscience and we have the right to assemble and we have the right to petition the government for grievances and we have at least a claim of equal rights or equal justice under the law and now I look around America today and I see that all these basic rights are in in jeopardy. So for decades, I've thought that we are the free world. And then there's the unfree world of Korea, North Korea, China, the old Soviet Union. But many of the defining features of a, of a police state in those countries are now present in the United States as well. The um, when I was the uh, uh, Tea Party president here in San Antonio, uh I, um, I, I mean, literally, I was targeted by the IRS uh, during the Obama years, and uh, it, it just—I mean, there had—they never found anything. Uh, they checked all my records and everything else. They never found anything. Uh, it, it didn't stop until there was a uh, a change in the administration. That, to me, tells me that uh, that uh, this IRS investigation or, or audit, should I say? Uh, was something a little bit more than just uh, an interest in my in in my taxes? Uh, are we going to be going? Are we going to be seeing more of this, uh, as well as FBI checking and who knows what else? 
Yeah, the police state comes at you many different ways. Um, I had a campaign finance case in the Obama years, and I had just made, of course, the movie 2016 Obama's America. So I thought this was the vendetta of Obama just because I made him look so bad in that movie. But I didn't, I thought it was a one off. You know, I didn't realize it was a, a prelude, a kind of a precursor to what would happen to Carter Page and Papadopoulos and Michael Flynn and, of course, now Trump. So we have seen an escalation and expansion of the police state. And it's not just one thing. It's not just FBI targeting. It's not just the IRS. I mean, if if someone were to ask me, define a police state, I would say, all right, mass surveillance, widespread censorship, ideological indoctrination in the schools and the media, the attempt to establish a one-party state. It's not that police states don't have elections. They often do, but there's no effective opposition. Uh, Criminalization of political differences, political prisoners. So look, I mean, this, this is the police state encroaching on us. And it is kind of amazing to me that so many Americans are, you know, continue to walk around clueless, sort of like the wildebeest who doesn't see the cheetah uh, coming at you at 60 miles an hour. <laughs> very, very good. You know, they, uh, in this last um, uh, budget package that they're talking about up on the Hill, uh, apparently it includes a... Um, a, a, a group, or should I say an agency, maybe it is, money for young people to educate uh, the uh, the communities about the green issues, the climate. Um, I mean, it sounds to me like this is going to be like the Red Guard coming at us, you know, talking about the climate. Well, the climate issue is big because, uh, see, we don't have a full-fledged police state. When you have a full-fledged police state, the citizenry is already terrified, and you don't have to give people any reasons for what you do. Like when Stalin sent his agents to arrest people, they'd be like, what for? But nobody would give any explanation. No explanation needed. You're just on some list, and you're going to be hauled away. But we are a police state in formation, and what that means is that they can't do that. They've got to still convince the American people. And uh, so for this reason, they need fear. And if you think about it, you know, COVID, of course, was a a marvelous instrument of fear. So is climate change. The politics of fear causes people to agree to do things that they would not normally agree to do. Oh, fear is a great way to to govern, I guess, isn't it? Uh, This, uh, how long did it take you to put together this this movie? I mean, who, how, uh, what what specific issues... uh, Besides fear, I guess, did you uh, did you target? Well, I think about, you know, it takes me a few couple of months to frame the issue correctly. And then about six months, perhaps, I'd say to make the movie. But I mean, it couldn't be more timely. It's one of the most cinematic, uh, like emotionally riveting movies that I've made. And what we've done is we've bought out hundreds of theaters all around the country. And we're making the tickets available on our website, which is policestatefilm.net, policestatefilm.net. So that's the only place you can get tickets. And like I say, you know, you can watch my movies uh, by digital download and streaming later, but it's kind of exciting to go to the theater, particularly if you go with your family or church or go with a group, because you're seeing it with like-minded people, and it provides a tremendous fodder for engagement and discussion. It is, um, you know, this this type of situation of, of drifting into a police state, um, while the border is open and while there's a defund the police movement, all of this, uh, how does that coordinate? I mean, how does this, uh, it, it seems like what they want is chaos, so that that way they can then uh, produce more uh, activities from, from their side that uh, will keep us in line or something. Well, I think that the the open border is coming back to the point about the police state being under construction in the United States. They want to, the country is too evenly divided for them to have a constituency strong enough to build the full police state. So that's why they're like, listen, what if we let in 20 or 30 million illegals, let's just say over the next, you know, several years, and we find a pathway for those guys to vote either legally or illegally, then we've got a kind of 
established majority. We've altered the demographics of the country, and now we can really build our police state. So this is actually a little bit of an anomaly that I had to explain in the movie, because think about it. Normally, police states don't let people in or out. Think about the Berlin Wall. Yes. You know, yes. they wall their citizens in, and that's that's the more normal. So we have a unique police state in some way. There's a guy in the movie who has a funny line, which I'll kind of reveal, is he goes, you know, he goes, we're becoming China plus drag queen. And that's another way of saying that we're not an identical police state with all the others. In fact, in China, you go on the subway, it's very clean. You know, you can't do graffiti or start harassing some guy or punching him in the subway. You'll be sort of arrested and probably locked up for life. So police states often do provide law and order. And it's a bit of a puzzle and anomaly that our police state allows so much open criminality. I mean, they allow criminality in the cities while they go after like January 6th protesters who walked into the Capitol for 10 minutes and looked around and walked out without damaging a thing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I like the way that you put it, that you put it because uh, China with drag queens. Uh, you know, it, it is uh, this whole situation because, you know, their their police state reaches into, uh, is going to reach or is reaching into every single uh, facet of our lives from education to uh, who's driving a car, uh, what kind of car you're driving? I mean, it, this is this is really really dangerous. Uh, do you think that uh, this evolution that we're catching on to it? I mean, this b- before it evolves into a full fledged police state. Do you think that there's any hope for us to? I mean, for people to wake up and uh, and and stop it before it continues? Yeah, I mean, that's the reason to you know make the movie. Uh, in fact, it's more like I gave earlier the example of the wildebeest. It's more like a kind of a warning to the herd. Like, listen, you know, don't just keep grazing because we have to watch out for this. Once the jaws of a police state really slam shut, then there's much, your options become much more limited. In fact, I've been talking in my podcast about, I've been doing a sort of mini course on Solzhenitsyn's since the Gulag Archipelago. And he goes, once the Gulag is established, the only thing you can do is run, you know, know there's so but we are not there yet and that we have institutions that are countering the police state uh, unfortunately those institutions are not as strong as they should be and of course the republican party is so many people in the republican party it's not so much that they're clueless but some of some of it is just that they think that they are too principled to fight the police state they're sort of like yeah the other side is actually acting in a gangsterish way but we can't do the same thing because we are too good to do that we are too principled <laughs> so we can't do to them what they're doing to us even though that is necessary it's kind of like saying the outlaws have encircled my ranch and they're out to burn you know my <laughs> you know uh, burn everything to the ground but listen i can't pull out my gun because i don't want to be just like them yeah it, that's that's so true i mean that is very very true that it, it's uh, it, we show up to a to a fight and uh, we've we're, we've got our fist and they've got uh, brass knuckles and knives and everything else it, it is really, really bad. We really need to wake, wake people up. All right. In conclusion, sir, before we let you go, uh, what do you want the people to walk away with after this, after watching your movie? Well, a movie is a very unique experience, you know. I mean, just think about if you've seen a movie like The Shawshank Redemption, it leaves you changed. And if somebody would ask you, what was that movie about? You're sort of hard-pressed to say because a movie is an intellectual but also an emotional experience. All I can say is that there are so many people who say to me, you know, Dinesh, you know, I'm not Trump and I didn't go in the Capitol on January 6th and I pay my taxes, you know. I don't have to worry. The FBI is not going to come banging on my door. And I'm like, you could not be more wrong. So this is a movie that takes you into the bowels of the police state. I mean, I have interviews with whistleblowers, people on the inside, and also we have marvelous recreations of incidents that have happened to ordinary people just going about their ordinary life, but they come up against the police state. So I think it's going to be a real eye-opener for a lot of people. Excellent. And we do. We really, really need to make people aware uh, that uh, sometimes rules and regulations that are imposed on us are just the beginning of, uh, of, some, of, of things getting worse. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So again, if I could just mention the website, it's policestatefilm.net because that's the one-stop shop. If you want to see this film, that's where you need to go, policestatefilm.net. You got it, folks. We've been talking with our good friend, Mr. Dinesh D'Souza. He's got a brand new movie coming out in October. Let's get over there and watch it and then spread the word, my friends, because uh, we are, we're a herd that's that's going to be uh, attacked, and we need to wake up. We need to wake everybody up. Thank you very much, Dinesh, for taking time to be with us today, and uh, we'll look forward to getting you back on the show. 
Thanks. I look forward to it. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got a new guest with us, uh, State Representative Stan Fitzman. And uh, he is uh, he represents a southeast portion of uh, the state. And I wanted to get him on because, uh, well, like all things, he's got some concerns about what's going on at the border. Uh, this morning, and we're talking. Uh, we're we're doing this recording on Thursday, um, August or August, October fifth, and uh, there the the headlines are full of the northern cities just packed, just freaking out because illegal immigrant immigrants are coming into their communities. Chicago, New York, all of them are just freaking out uh, with issues that we've been dealing with here in South in in Texas for a while. So I wanted to get the representative on to talk to us a little bit and um, give us his take about what uh, the border crisis is uh, doing to our state, as well as one, a bill that he sponsored. And uh, so welcome to the show, uh, Representative uh, Kitzman. Thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. Uh, tell us tell us your thoughts about the border crisis, because you're not actually on the border, but you are still affected by it. Good morning, George, and, and thank you for having me on and, and giving me an opportunity to visit with you in a few minutes. Uh, the border is something that uh, many of us in Texas, of course, have been concerned about for a very long time. It's it's not new news to us, uh, but the tragedy that has, has developed, especially over the last two years, uh, is, is you know something that is, is just untenable. I, I uh, when I used to teach school, I, I talked to people about the fact that no country can survive unchecked immigration we we should have an immigration policy and we should uh regulate uh how and and when people enter our country and and that's that's fine but unchecked immigration in in my mind is is an invasion i think if you you looked up what an invasion was in the dictionary you'd come pretty close to the same thing as what i refer to as unchecked immigration so we We've had this concern in, in, in Texas, uh, like I said, for a long time. But the tragedy that's happening right now is, is beyond the pale on anything that we've seen before. And uh, it's it's devastating to our, our state. It's devastating to our country. But most of all, it's devastating to people. And uh, in the end, we do care what happens to these human beings. And uh, we don't like to see them exploited or... or uh, uh, you know, harmed in any kind of way, and uh, what's going on now between the cartels and and uh, everybody else that's uh, participating in, in bringing these people here uh, is it's just criminal. Now, one of the things that uh, recently happened uh, while I was uh, helping to cover down on the border, they found a two-year-old child that had been abandoned by the river. And uh, regularly we see people who claim that they are families coming across with children uh, only to find those children kind of, well, abandoned uh, later on uh, along the routes. And uh, the impact on children, the impact on uh, uh, this whole idea that families were going to be reunified, yet we don't even know if they're real families. Um, What's your take on on, on the impact on these kids? Well, I, I don't think that many Americans fully understand how how heartless and, and cruel this this business is, especially when it involves the cartels whose whose motive is prof, profit. Human life really means nothing except what dollar it can bring. Uh, you know, I was told that um, you'll see uh, people crossing the border and will have a child, and, and of course they'll they'll claim that that's their child in an effort to circumvent our, our immigration laws. But the, the child was probably just, you know, I, I don't think George, that most Americans uh, fully understand how heartless and cruel this, this business of human smuggling, human trafficking really is. And, uh, the, to the cartels and the other people involved in the drug trade and the human trafficking trade, the, lives are expendable and that applies to children uh we've seen this uh for a long time where uh i had a a border patrol friend tell me that one time they arrested some people that had actually 
stuffed a child uh, with with cocaine or drugs and uh, in an effort to smuggle those drugs across the border. Obviously, they murdered that child and, and then used the, their body to hide the, the drugs. And uh, But, you know, the, the idea that these that there are whole families coming across the border is, is a shield uh, in an effort to try to get around our, our laws and our rules. Uh, I'm told that it's not uncommon that when you see someone with a child uh, at the border uh, attempting to come in, that they may have just recently purchased that child uh, in Mexico uh, to use in an effort to get across the border and go around our, our rules. And uh, then once they get to the other side and they no longer need the child, they simply discard them, which usually would mean the life of, of that child. And uh, they're just abandoned and thrown away like a piece of trash. And uh, that's that's not what Americans and Texans are accustomed to. Yeah, I mean, it, that is that is so uh, far from what a lot of people think. I mean, they, they picture the... Uh, uh, um, the immigrants like they're landing at at, at, uh, uh, at Ellis Island together as a family coming in, and it is far from being from from that that we're seeing right now. We're even seeing bodies uh, floating in the river sure. regularly. Uh, tell sure. us tell us about um, the House bill that you proposed. Um, uh, we did uh, have House Bill Five Thousand. You know that was kind of a a benchmark that the House had never had that many bills filed before. Uh, I was able to obtain House Bill 5000, but that wasn't just a, a a marker for us. It was what I thought was a significant piece of legislation that had to do with what, what we think is the exploiting of, of children uh, coming into Texas. The, um, the long and short of it is that uh, there's a federal program with non-governmental organizations whereby the, the children are picked up at the border by the NGO and they're brought to various facilities operated by the NGO uh, throughout Texas. And uh, they hold them for a few days and then they turn them over to whoever comes and, and gets them. So uh, the, the short version is the, the cartels help get the child across the border. This, this is human trafficking. Uh, the cartels help get them across the border and non-governmental organization picks them up, brings them to a facility, holds them for a few days until someone shows up and says, you know, I'm I'm that child's uncle or I'm that child's relative, and uh, they just hand them over to them. And we've lost track. The federal government admits that they've lost track of over 30,000 children, uh, you know, in just the last last couple of years. That's and, amazing. Uh, that is outrageous. We, <laughs> you know, when, when, when that person shows up and they hand them over, that's the last you see of that child. And, uh, you know, there's there's other parts of this. I know one facility in my district, the, the permit, uh, actually said it would be single unaccompanied males uh, ages 10 to 17. So they make, they're very careful to make sure that they're classified as, as minors. Uh, but that's if you, you believe this person is 17. And, uh, of course, a little side note, I, I look at that as single unaccompanied males of military age that are being smuggled into our country and um that's that's a dangerous situation and uh maybe i just am looking at that as an old iraq war veteran that uh, <laughs> that, that i would look out for uh but um it, it's 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 not just the tragedy of what happens to the younger children but but you know what what are these uh foreign national unaccompanied males doing being brought into our country with no checks on them and, and where do they go and who do you think they're going to be loyal to in the end um, yeah. the, uh, <laughs> we, we do have two of these facilities in uh, in my district uh, but I'll use an example uh, in West Texas there was a facility where some allegations I think of sexual abuse were being made the district attorney herself and the sheriff himself showed up to this place and here's here's the rub and where my bill comes into play uh they they showed up and were told that they had no authority there because it's it's a federal program <laughs> and uh the, the state has nothing to say about that so uh, a non-governmental organization can tell the whole state of texas to go fly kite and uh <laughs> Everywhere else, uh, the children are involved that I'm aware of, daycares and, and child care facilities and, and whatever, uh, the state has some oversight there. Uh, but here's a, uh, you know, relative, uh, basically private entity, 
that says, no, it doesn't matter what you hear, you can't come in. Uh, And and so House Bill 5000 was an effort to require them to at least have a state license and, and so we could have some oversight, you know, if it's legitimate, what are they really worried about? And if it's not legitimate, it needs to stop. Wow. I, you know, uh, it, it is really good that we've got some state representatives like you that are willing to uh, to stand up to the federal government, especially when they have a supposed representative in a nonprofit like that telling us to go fly a kite, as you put it. <laughs> Yeah. Representative, uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna let you go. But uh, is there anything else that you'd like to add about um, your work or uh, your focus? Well, it was it was really was my privilege and honor to be in in the legislature this session. Uh, I was uh, glad to get to to work on legislation like this. The other legislation that did pass that that hopefully gives the governor's commander in chief more tools and more funds to to do his job. We hope to expand on that. Uh, I don't know if that will be on the call for the coming special session, but if if there's something to do with the border that's allowed to be on there, we'll be glad to be working on that and supporting that. We've got to secure our border. We've got to secure our nation, and we have to protect these people. And uh, in the end, the human tragedy is, is, is off the scale. And uh, the state of Texas, uh, if if we can't get help from the federal government, the state of Texas is responsible. So thank you for your time, and and thank you for having me. You got it. Folks, we've been speaking with uh, State Representative Stan Kitzman from uh, District 85, uh, which is uh, a southern east, southeastern portion of, uh, of Texas. And we thank you very much for being with us. Yes, sir. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Randy Clark from Breitbart. And uh, Randy is the reporter. Uh, at the border. Uh, He is also a former Border Patrol agent, and so he's got um, the view from both sides here. Uh, Randy, welcome to the show. Give us an update. What is going on down there? Well, fortunately, we've hit a a little bit of a a lull in what we've seen in the last two weeks, but in the last two weeks, we've seen roughly 20,000 mostly Venezuelan migrants hit the border in a mad rush groups between 1,500 and 3,000 strong. And uh, after looking at that and the debacle that kind of caused in such a small community, uh, we're seeing that we're slowing down to about 800 to at times 1,400 per day. So that's still a phenomenal number of people coming into a city this size. Uh, We have two bridges here. One of those international ports of entry is closed. Uh, for a, a short period, we had our rail bridge closed. It sees a thousand rail cars come in, bringing parts and cars and produce from Mexico and then taking parts out for assembly. So that had a great economic impact in parts way farther north than, than Eagle Pass and the surrounding area. But our community is congested right now from that traffic. Deras Negras, our sister city, it's a city of over 200,000 people. Eagle Pass is roughly 30,000. So a lot of commerce and travelers come come through that border each and every day. So it's created lines and traffic jams that, you know, is costing, you know, business people in the United States who count on those residents who legally come from Mexico. So it seems the border's closed for folks with a legal right to come, and it's really without impediment to those who are choosing to come illegally between the ports of entry. Now, what, what kind of, of response are the local politicians, the local elected officials, giving this situation? Because my understanding is that most of them are Democrats. Well, you know, our our mayor is an independent, and, uh, you know, Democrat, Republican, or other, you know, folks are, are getting exhausted with this. They're seeing it firsthand, and uh, and I think all of them know, for the most part, 
that this is not the right way to have an immigration system, that this doesn't do, this doesn't serve anybody's needs well, from the migrants to the border patrol agents to the residents, business people, they're seeing it firsthand. So I think the level of awareness is there. There's just a few handful of folks that really share the views of the far left that think we need this open border. And they are the ones that really don't choose to look at it firsthand. Uh, everybody else, you know, the mayor's done the best he can. He's reached out to... uh to the state and to the to the White House to see if he can get some help. Very little is coming. They want those bridges open. You know, we rely on that cross-border traffic, the legitimate trade and travel. So they're doing the best. You know, we had Elon Musk come in last week. Uh, that does a lot to raise awareness. His, his live broadcast on X below the International Bridge saw some 80, 81 million views. So I think the word is getting out little by little. And even though we may have hit a lull, which is still incredibly unmanageable, we're seeing that shift to El Paso. So this border is a powder keg, and it just seems to move and move. And at one point, you know, it, it may just get worse everywhere. But the optics of what was happening in Eagle Pass kind of took away from those other areas because it, it's quite a sight to see 2,400 people come into the country in one solid group. And I was there in Mexico filming and taking photos for Breitbart from the river's edge in Mexico. That's a site I never saw in 32 years in the border patrol. Wow. But while that was happening, we were apprehending nationwide 11,000 migrants on those busy days. So that that was two, 3,000 there. But that tells you that there was another eight to 9,000 crossing between San Diego and Brownsville and other areas. It's unsustainable. Now, we just I just read a little bit ago that the um, First America Legal Foundation in Washington, D.C. is reporting that the Biden administration, uh, or should I say that there is no uh, there is no need, there is no requirement, legal requirement to cut the um, uh, bar, the, the wire. Uh, and uh, to allow people to enter the United States once they reach the shore. However, we have seen that the Border Patrol is being ordered to do that. Uh, how are the patrol agents feeling about this? I mean, what is their thought? Well, you know, if, if they had their druthers, this traffic would be, would not be there. But if we cannot even stop them from crossing, how could the federal government litigate 11,000 cases of this per day. Uh, the border in Texas is in the middle of the river. And we have capitulated to, you know, long ago that once you come in, you're subject to due process. And there's some Supreme Court rulings that say, you know, they have the same constitutional rights that we do once they hit the middle of the river. The problem becomes is that our policies are so weak that we allow the problem to get that close to us. It's already in the United States. And we've seen some images where the border patrol cuts the fence. Well, that's because those migrants are standing there for six, seven, eight hours. In the case of the, the latest photo, you know, the inside sources I have where a, a, a border patrol agent fist bumped one of the migrants. Well, that was the father of uh, an infant whose temperature, body temperature, was assessed at 105 degrees when they got to the medical site. So... If, if that is going to be the United States posture that, or, or a state's posture that the only way we can control this border is to add to the inhumanity there, that just tells you how, how bad this has gotten. We don't need bullets and alligators and to kill babies. We just basically need some solid policy that keeps these people from, from coming, coming this place. far yeah. in the first place. Yeah. And we've proven that that's very easy. So we can stack up wire and we can stack up walls and we can stack up everything. But if you let people that are this desperate to get in they will stay there all day yep. the problem is the expense of allowing that to go on too too long because eventually even the state has orders to cut that fence in the event of a medical emergency well by the time there's there are times 80 90 people there if it's one medical emergency you can bet it's going to be 20 or 30 we have a hospital that can only service 30,000 residents 
So those live flights and those ambulances and the babysitting that the border patrol is going to do when somebody has rhabdomyosis and, and has to be, you know, hospitalized for three, four, five days or longer, the expenses are going to be overwhelming to do that each and every day. And that's what this plays out each and every day. I was down there every day that this crisis was going on and the same charade happens. The migrants cross almost unimpeded. They get to the wire. They stand there and bake all day and eventually they riot and come over the wire on their own or somebody has to cut because they have babies in there and the parents are showing babies that are almost passing out. So oh, wow. that's where this administration has come. This is not a Governor Abbott problem. This is not a United States Border Patrol problem. This is a problem that is created by the Joe Biden administration and it's deliberate. They're, yep. they're not powerless to stop it. They are, they are not willing to stop it. And the um, mainstream media fans it. They show these pictures, and uh, they, uh, you know, they don't tell the whole story. That's that's another problem with this thing. They show well, inhumanity, and that's it. Yes, and how convenient it was for the administration during the Del Rio situation when the Haitian whipping incident came up with a horse patrol that that allowed Joe Biden and Kamala and. Secretary Mayorkas to say, look at this horrible thing that happened, and we're going to find those people, and we're going to be punishing. That is still playing out for the Border Patrol agents right now. And they knew that those photos did not depict what they were saying they did, but it allows them to shift the focus of that incident, which was utter negligence on the part of the Department of Homeland Security and the United States government to allow that crisis to happen on U.S. soil. They knew it was coming. They allowed it. And their, their best best defense to it was let's single out five border patrol agents well if we do that with these border patrol agents that, that are cutting this fence then we're bringing it to the lowest denominator in the equation and we're alleviating the attention and responsibility we should be putting on washington dc and the biden administration for this fiasco um, um, that is so well put i mean that is so well put it, it is absolutely you know they will take uh one incident and one picture uh, and even though it may not be what you see, they don't explain it, but they utilize it for their propaganda. They utilize it for their propaganda. Well, and like I say, no, nobody's un, you know, nobody is happy with this situation. Not one of those National Guardsmen down there, not one of the DPS troopers, not one of the Border Patrol agents down there thinks this is the way a border should run. But we cannot pit those folks that would give their lives for you or I in a heartbeat and say that they are either treasonous or doing something wrong, that blame and those emotions need to stay squarely focused on this administration because exactly. they know the formula. They took the steps to, to open this border, and it's just going to get worse. Exactly. And it is. It really, really is. Randy, thank you so much for taking time to be with us as usual. Uh, folks, we're speaking with our good friend, Mr. Randy Clark, uh, reporter for Breitbart. And... Um, giving us an update of what is happening down there at the border. Randy, you stay safe, my man. Thank you, George. You have a wonderful day. Take care. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And uh, we've got a new guest with us, uh, Mr. Mark Garcia, who is a retired Border Patrol agent. Uh, from here in the uh, southwest Texas area. Uh, I wanted to get him on and ask him to give us his take of what is going on right now at the border with regards to the number of people that are coming in, uh, whether or not we know who they are, et cetera, et cetera, because we got a bunch of people uh, coming in. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Thank you. I appreciate you. Um, here in San Antonio at our Margaret Migrant Center, we have had our local sheriff, uh, uh, Salazar, uh, talking about how concerned he is about human trafficking to Massachusetts. In the meantime, though, we don't know, I know he doesn't know, who are, is at our, uh, here in our own midst, in our own neighborhoods, Right. At the migrant center, what's going right. on at the border different from what you used to see? Tell us, give us your opinion, your thoughts. 
Okay, well, uh, first of all, uh, let me tell you that I, I did uh, my entire career uh, was spent here in Eagle Pass, Texas. I, I never went to another station. I was a, an instructor, so I would from time to time go on temporary duty to um, Artesia, Charleston, uh, different areas to teach, but then I always came back. Uh, so all of my line experience is here in Eagle Pass. And as you know, right now, it's the, the Eagle Pass is kind of the uh, the uh, uh, the highlight right now, or the or is leading the high the the, the reels here, um, and for, as far as uh, the amount or the number of illegal, illegal immigrants entering right now, um, we are at numbers that are are just mind boggling right now. Um, when I work traffic here um 2000 to 2019 ish um that we didn't have these kind of well not 2019 i'm going to say maybe 2000 to 2015 16 we didn't have these kind of numbers um if we apprehended in an eight-hour shift we apprehended 80 people it was all hands on deck man we got to get 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 these guys into the processing area we got to get them fingerprinted we got to run background checks we got to we got to see who we're dealing with um right now 80 is not even a drop in the bucket uh for somebody for for agents right now working uh on the line they they probably get 80 every 30 30 40 45 minutes Mm -hmm. they don't they don't um those numbers back then are nothing compared to what the what the what they're, they're receiving right now. Now the major difference right now is that with all of these numbers, um, as, as you as you may or might may not know, there's two different types of illegal aliens entering. There's there's Mexicans, uh, which we can repatriate due to the fact that we're right here on the border. And then there's Odoms, other than Mexicans. And those are your Venezuelans, Hondurans, anybody from any other country. Um, within that Odom category, you're going to have some special interests. And, of course, that's going to be people from that intend to do us harm, um, Iran, uh, uh, Yemen, uh, those, those type countries. So we cannot automatically repatriate the Odoms back to Mexico because Mexico actually enforces their immigration law at the northern border. If you're not Mexican um, and you're from Honduras or some other uh, South African, uh, South American country, they will automatically stop right to stop you right there and say, hey, you can't come back in. You can't come back in. Uh, so, so where do they deport them to? Do they deport them back to Honduras or back to Central America or do they and, and chase them across our border? <laughs> If they're if if uh, if um, they they show up, you know, here here in Eagle Pass, Texas, and they and they cross um, in, into the United States illegally, at that point, once we it's it's a very simple, basic vetting structure. At that point, we just basically ask demographics, demographics, name, DOB, uh, date of birth, uh, where are you from? Do you have any documents to prove that you're from there? Um, and uh, that's basically it. Um, they, we take that information down along with the GPS coordinates of where you were apprehended, and that that event gets inputted by uh, somebody wow. at the station. Uh, now, uh, my buddies were being told were, were telling me that here for a while, whenever they had these numbers that were just so astronomical, um, they were basically getting everybody to the to the processing center, um, call the Firefly. They get them there. They'd run kind of, you know, what we would call a quick and dirty. You know, let's let's uh, let's let's get a face, uh, get a picture of your face. Let's get uh, some fingerprints and let's run those things. Let's get you input into the system and um, get you a shower meal and get you on the bus. Let's get you out of here. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's basically what they were doing. So um, in my time uh, back whenever I was working, we would wait for the return on the checks and uh, other record checks. And if this guy was wanted in Virginia or or Michigan or somewhere in another state, and they were willing to extradite, at that point we would do we would do the entire case packet and get that that man extradited to where he, wherever he needed to go, or that person extradited to wherever they need to go. They don't have time for that right now. This is so, amazing. Now this, let's face it, this can be very dangerous for us. 
Could it not? It's I mean, dangerous. I, I mean, it's extremely dangerous. We had we back in. I, I don't. I think we were speaking earlier. Um, back between two thousand three and two thousand seven, we started to have an influx like this, um, in which uh, we were having a bunch of family units coming across, and we were having. Uh, we were like I said, we didn't have the, the, the near the numbers that they they're, they're having now, but we were having a, a we. Management saw that it was quickly getting out of hand, so they in, they they started what was called Operation Streamline back then. So Operation Streamline said, if you were um, uh, claiming to be a family unit, we're going to wait on your checks to be returned. But if we get an initial from the FBI saying you're okay, then what we're going to do is allow you to be NTA'd into the United States. That's a, yeah. That's where catch and release started. Uh-huh. Uh, and so here's here's why I bring that up. I had a, a a gentleman or a gentleman. I had an illegal alien that presented himself with his family. And back then, if they didn't have they more often than not, they did not have a U.S. address that they were going to. They were just going to uh, New York, New York, or they were going to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, to go look for work. And so at that time, um, President Bush just said, you know what? W- what we'll do is we'll, do, we'll, we'll write down, uh, fail to provide U.S. address and, and list, the, list the city that they're going to and then list, list the closest um, federal court that they can present themselves to so that that way they can get an immigration hearing. And so we started doing that. Every, every case was a uh, fail to provide U.S. address. Well, one day we we uh, we we had processed some some people. They count the the FBI check return was clear. Um, we sent them on, and the FBI shows up maybe uh, four days later. Now, now now mind you, we were we had already processed maybe at that in those in that time probably about three or four hundred people by then. They were got way gone. They they. That, that family had already taken off and they said, hey, we need to talk to this guy right here. Um, he popped up with uh, with criminal history and he needs to be extradited. We're here to pick him up. And my supervisor grabbed the paperwork and he said, oh yeah, we got him right here. Uh, he's, uh, he's you can go to Atlanta, Georgia. He, he is at, failed to provide US address. Wow. So and the FBI was like, why did you let him go? And we showed him, hey, well, we got the paperback saying that he's clear. And they were like, no, that's not what that paper means. That paper means that we just received the prints and we're going to run them. Oh. And I was like, well, this this paper right here says all checks clear. So what and checks were they doing? They weren't doing that. They were just they were basically uh, back then acknowledging um, that they were receiving the fingerprints and they would run them at. Gotcha. At their at their at their disposal. Gotcha. So here's I tell you that to tell you this: our system, the border patrol system back then, was not integrated with the FBI. We had a we had to make a special request. That's when IAFIS came came in, and all of the technology that you see now that is available to vet people. We do have that technology. They even do an eye scan mm-hmm. now. President Trump actually was was a was a huge proponent of of making sure we had all those resources, but because of the numbers and because of what's called presidential priorities, if they come in as a family, we cannot say, uh, okay, well we don't believe your family. We're going to separate you. We're going to check your story. We're going to make sure everything. It's it is it's okay. You're a family. Okay, where you're going? Okay, you're going here. You're going to New York. Okay. Um, get on the bus, and that's it. So that's that makes—I mean, in essence, there's very little vetting going on. There, I, there's, I would, I would, I, I would go as far as to say, ninety-nine percent of the time, if they're if they're claiming to be a family unit, they're not vetted. Yeah. Now, let me tell you, in speaking with my buddies at the port of entry. Is what's happening with the CBP one app? With the CBP one app, once they get to Piedras Negras, which is our sister city here across uh, across the river in, in uh, Eagle Pass, they are able to access that app and put their information. My name is Mark Mark uh, Mark Garcia. Uh, I am from Honduras. My birthday is zero nine zero five nineteen seventy, and um, I am requesting asylum. They get a little barcode saying, you know what? Your your uh, application has been accepted. They get a little barcode. 
They go up to the port of entry. They show their phone where they've got the barcode. They get scanned. Welcome to the United States. <laughs> That's it. That's they're it. In. They're in. And so here's and, and so here's and here's here's something else. As as you may or may not know, you have to have a sponsor when you come to the United exactly. States through that through that asylum process. So what they're saying is, oh, my uncle who came who came who who was accepted in last week. He's my sponsor. So they input the name of their uncle who was accepted in, who was accepted through the CBP one app last week. And then I turn around and say, Hey, come through Eagle pass, come through, come through Piedras Negras. I call my buddies back home and I tell them, Hey, come through Piedras Negras, fill out the CBP one app and put me that I'm your sponsor. Wow. And so now we've got a, a ladder piggybacking it's a piggyback ladder the whole way, and they're just using somebody who just entered illegally and saying, and saying <laughs> they're my sponsor. Oh, and my God. No, there's no checks. Incredible. There's no check or, or, or vetting with with that with respect to that uh, that entry. And and so this has all been in, in, uh, implemented by this administration right now. That's incredible. Um like I said, it, uh, I've um, I've escorted many uh, candidates that have been running for office down into the border. And the one thing that that really, as an officer or an, as an agent, as any any law enforcement officer will tell you, when you have a group of people, um, the one thing you do not want to be is complacent around this group of, of people that you you are you are arresting. Back in my time, every week. Sometime during the week, you were arrested. Rest assured, you were going to come to fisticuffs with somebody who did not want to go back to jail. Right. And the fight was going to be on. So you could not turn your back to anybody. You needed to make sure that you had eyes on, hands on people who seemed like they, they were acting a little squirrely. Like they just they weren't just regular, I'm here to work type people. Nowadays, when I observe these officers or these agents, when they come to the group that's already been temporarily detained by DPS, PD, SO, or the constables, when they come and they'll start right off the bat, they start, uh, they get their preprints out to put, to take down the information of the individual, the, the, the illegal alien, and they're turning their backs. They become so complacent that they they have no awareness, no law enforcement awareness, no safety awareness anymore, yeah. because they've seen so many people. Correct, and they're just it's, letting everybody in anyway. So and they're letting everyone in anyway, so there's no reason to fight. Exactly. Um, that's that, that's really really in, in, in insane. Mark, we're going to need to let you go. Sure, but uh, we got to get you back on. Um, so that you can explain further what the process is, because people need to understand how it is that the process is being bent, is being twisted um, for political reasons. I mean, sure. that, that's that's the bottom line. Uh, folks, we've been speaking with our good friend, Mr. Mark Garcia, former, or, or should I say retired Border Patrol agent uh, from Eagle Pass. And uh, Mark, we've got to get you back on again. Okay, buddy? Absolutely, absolutely. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez and Conservador talking to you from San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.